0: this is brother Austin McCormick and i want to welcome you to the context is key podcast this is the eighth episode of the context is key podcast and I'm actually recording today from our new podcasting booth at Shepherd Baptist Church and today I have the privilege to introduce to you our guest speaker who's going to be breaking down some of our context today brother Mike Brown brother Mike welcome to the podcast
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: Uh, if you remember, Brother Mike was with us, I believe, on the fifth or sixth episode of the Context is Key podcast last time we did, when two or three are gathered in my name. I know he enjoyed that a lot.
1: I felt like Jesus was right there with us. Amen.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Brother Mike has had a lot going on lately. He's had, sounds like his handful in his, in his life and... uh I was going to ask Brother Mike a little bit about his, his personal life before we get into the podcast today. It gives the listener just to get a little bit of a flavor of what's going on in a pastor's life. So, man, what's been going on with you lately?
1: Oh, no, man, my life's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, our 10-month-old started walking last night, so now she's going to be into everything all the time. That's uh, so exciting. That is exciting. Uh, we're going to have a baby come late May uh so that's exciting and you've uh, already
0: got the name figured out right
1: no um, we're still debating the name um i'm a big fan of luther my wife and about everybody else does not like it <laughs> i don't know what we'll name this child uh baby boy seems to sound good after a while uh, but it doesn't start with an l so we have to keep with that theme since we have a logan and olivia uh, so we're trying to figure that out i'm um, gonna start sc- another semester of school on the 4th of February be doing Greek study that's ex- that is you, exciting you
0: are genuinely excited for that I'm genuinely excited
1: slightly terrifying uh, because I don't I, I don't speak English well nor do I read it well nor do I uh, communicate it well so uh, Greek is going to be a new new one for me it'll be fun and, uh, and then there's just my side hobby side uh, side hustle I guess you'd call it I do some uh, woodworking projects and uh, every time I try to get them all wrapped up more pile on so that's uh, always a blessing to have an extra source of, of entertainment I guess. <laughs> I know
0: in a setting like this uh, it seems like you would not typically give yourself any boasting or anything like that but I will do it for you since you really don't have the opportunity to do it in this context. Brother Mike is really good at woodworking. He is uh, He's built my side table. I think you did that for my wedding right? Yeah. wedding present wedding present yeah that, so yeah it's awful it's awful we use it every day it's actually become my wife's little uh, side table and uh, brother Mike has given us some shelves he's actually coming up today he's gonna install some shelves in our house I feel like you've done more than just that oh a corner shelf for me uh, brother Mike has built my wooden desk that I sit at at home and do a lot of stuff so he is very talented so uh, you might want to get a hold of him if you're close to him. He does not deliver, though, I don't think. If you want something, you might have to come to him. I'll say,
1: price is right for anything. <laughs> price is right for
0: anything. So if you pay enough, he might deliver it for you. It will, he's very talented in that regard. So, yeah, you've had a lot going on. Uh, I was really happy yesterday whenever I saw his daughter take first steps. That's exciting. Oh, it is. She's going to be all over her brother now.
1: He's going to, there's no way he can go to get away from her. It's going to be great. Oh, boy. Yeah, I
0: guarantee you Logan's going to enjoy that. Um, so you've had a lot going on in your personal life, it seems like. Tell us a little bit about how the church is doing. How's Redford doing?
1: Uh, Redford Baptist Church is doing great. We had something very exciting happen yesterday. We had a young lady come forward and get saved. Uh, she had been struggling for a while, and uh, God revealed to her she was lost and that she needed to get born again, and and, uh, God graciously saved her yesterday. Amen. Uh, So that was exciting. Uh, It really kind of pepped up the church a lot. You know, you you feel like you're just uh, beating your head on a wall sometimes, just keep doing and plugging along. And uh, God is always faithful and uh, uh, as sinful as I am. I forget that from time to time. And uh, so that was exciting to have that happen yesterday. So we're very excited about that. Uh, We're gonna be baptizing her in the near future now hopefully I will remember to turn the heater on in the baptistry <laughs> this time. Uh, the last one was quite chilly. But.
0: And if I remember correctly, you said this is someone that you had been praying for for a long time, or for yeah. an extended amount of time at least.
1: Yeah, Mindy and I have been praying for her. Um, her mother-in-law actually tattled on her, told us uh, you know, she's kind of unsure on her faith, so we've been praying for her since then. And uh, we're excited that God is, is faithful and, and uh, wants to save people, and that's, that's what ministry is all about. So we were so excited to have that happen.
0: Amen. Amen. So uh, last time we podcast, I think it was around October, and that seems like yesterday, but it's like four months ago, a quarter, and uh, you were preaching your way through the book of John, I believe, on Sunday mornings, and the book of Isaiah on Sunday nights. Tell me a little bit about how that's been.
1: Well, we are, uh, we took a break off of John uh, for Christmas.
0: And you had a s- sermon series for that? a
1: sermon series on Christmas. Uh, what Christmas was about and, and the meaning of Christmas and uh, really the whole reason of Jesus' birth. And he's not in the manger still, but he came to, to redeem lost mankind. Uh, preached through that. Then uh, we preached a series, uh, ended it Sunday morning on the church, what the church is about. The church is a bride, church is a body, and the church is a family. And uh, kind of seeing the aspects of what those all, all entail uh, and what that all is going about. But we're going to pick up John again Sunday morning. Uh, we left off in John chapter 7. Uh, John seven, the first part of it is a unique passage that's probably going to need a lot of verses to get a sermon out of it. But uh, no, just kidding. It, there, there's a. It, it's not one of the flashy ones that a lot of people preach out of uh, a lot of the time. So, it, it's going to be exciting. Uh, we've been in the Book of Isaiah on Sunday night, Seems like forever. Um, we'll pick that up again. This, this, well, not this Sunday. We're. Uh, I have a sermon ready for the sanctity of human life, uh, especially after. Uh, the ruling made in New York um, Why life is important I, I don't understand uh, I'm not going to get into that a lot But don't understand why uh, People hate babies And uh, you corner them on it They say that's not what it is But man, you, anyway If it's got a heartbeat It's got a life That's all I'm going to say uh, But Isaiah's been a, a good one uh, We're going to be We're in Isaiah 7 So we're kind of paralleling there With John and Isaiah But we'll uh, be in both of those books for Until uh, Christ returns probably <laughs> Um just because there there's so much uh, so much in them that it, it you just can't rush through without really doing a thorough exposition, getting everything out of each verse and uh, being faithful to the text and what the text says. Uh, but it's been exciting. The church has responded well to both of them uh, they've they've uh, really are enjoying the verse by verse they they didn't know first they didn't know how they felt, <laughs> but they they really enjoyed a lot and uh, definitely seen some fruits from that, and that's been exciting.
0: Amen. Well, how has last question before we move on. How has that been for you and your personal study?
1: Uh, it's been really good. You know, you, you can read a passage so many times and not read it the same way each time, but when you are doing an uh, in-depth study of what the passage is saying, you, you learn so much more out of it. So it's, it's helped me to grow. Um, it's helped me to get deeper into um, what the original languages say. Uh, that's why the benefit of the, taking the Greek class in seminary, I'm excited about that just so... Uh, I can have a better understanding of what the the original language says because uh, how the translations went from Greek to English. it didn't you, you can't have that go smooth across because the languages are entirely different. so it, it's helped me have a better understanding of what the word says, uh, what the meaning behind what is being spoken actually meant. Um, sometimes we can develop an interpretation that is not even biblical. so it's it's been uh, been great for me for that reason.
0: Good, good. Well, hey, before we get into the podcast today, I want to give a little bit of a side note. Uh, the formality of the podcast will probably be a little bit more casual in the future. That's, that's going to do a lot of things for us. Uh, for one, it will allow me to do less editing whenever I am posting the podcast, which enables more time for us, Brother Mike and I, Um I don't know about Brother Mike, but my personal conviction and my feeling, I would like to podcast more often, so that'll give us a little bit more opportunity to podcast more often. Brother Mike and I both obviously spend a lot of time sermon prepping, so we don't want to neglect sermon preparation time for podcast preparation time. We want to have our priorities right, which is feeding our flocks, but we hope this resource will be something that will help you in your Christian walk as well. Uh, we do get to show a little bit more of our personality whenever we're a little bit more casual. Brother Mike can cut up a little bit more, and I know he's a lot more comfortable in that sense, cutting jokes. And uh, teaser, this is a teaser for you. There may be some changes coming to the podcast in the future, but just for today, it's the Context is Key podcast. That's probably too much of a teaser. But hey, let's go ahead and get into the text today. We are going to be looking at perhaps one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, John 316 brother mike would you like to talk about john 316 today John
1: 316 that's probably everybody's first memory verse they ever memorized um depending on what age you are depends on how you say it uh, depends on what translation you memorized it from
0: um, i love somebody
1: <laughs> it's uh i mean it is a great verse uh, i know uh forgot how many millions of people googled the verse after tim tebow put it on his eye black in one of the college football national championship games uh but it, it's a well-known verse and, and it's very simple for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life um that, i mean who wouldn't want that i mean that's that is a, a verse of hope a verse of, of everything so yeah absolutely it's one of the most uh, popular passages it's 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 like I can have Christ without any catches to it
0: All right do you remember how old you were, particularly whenever you first heard this verse as a memory verse or oh, any I possibility so. of when you were probably taught this
1: I was a kid uh, I mean young I know we had a lot of we, we always got gifts from uh, family members or, or grandparents and I think I had a little uh, and I'm not not kidding it was a little Bible that was probably about two inches tall and I mean it was a little miniature tiny thing and and uh, it was in that and I remembered I'd read it all the time and that's I I was probably about
0: seven eight years old when I had that. I just I feel very grateful that a lot of children get to know this verse at such an age at young age because I have vivid memories of my childhood and I genuinely do not remember being taught this or even reading this or listening to this until I was around 18 years old. So it's awesome that this verse is so easy that a child can understand it, but yet also there's so much depth to it that it can be studied for years and years. I have a question for you. Uh, As we look at John 3.16, what are some ways that John 3.16 is used out of its context or just ways that people build doctrines upon this verse without using the rest of the context?
1: I think a lot of people take it as God loves me and in spite of me so to speak i mean you know god yes god does love you in spite of your sinfulness because uh we're born sinful we don't deserve anything uh but hell obviously because we're we're by nature rebelling rebellious against god from birth so i mean you, you read a verse like this and god loves me without me having to really change myself i just believe in jesus and i've got it uh and there's there's not much depth built upon that you know Uh, i think a lot of the easy beliefism is is kind of built up on this uh, verse out of context where you know you come to jesus all you got to do is come down the aisle pray a prayer believe in jesus in your heart and you know he's knocking on your heart's door and you open the door and you let him in and you're you're good to go and life is good because you you prayed that prayer and you believe that jesus uh you know god sent his son to die for you and that's that's i mean there's half truth in that god did send his son to die for you but there's uh, more to that that goes to that, and I think we'll, we'll get into that more in the podcast here.
0: Yeah, and uh, whenever I ask this question, I particularly had easy believism in mind. And for the listener that may not be quite uh, as educated in church life or quite aware of what easy believism is, can you give just a brief synopsis of what this teaching is or maybe an example, an outward expression of something I know you just kind of summarized a little bit, but make it very clear. Uh, uh,
1: Easy beliefism is is kind of we don't want to offend anything or anybody, so we we don't preach anything that's offensive. Uh, So, I mean, you can come to church, dirty, filthy dog, like a dirty, filthy dog, and we don't want you to clean up because God takes you whoever you are. Uh, That's not biblical in any way. You know, the Bible teaches us that uh, God calls us out of our sin. He puts a new heart in us and cleanses us from the inside out. You know, there's got to be repentance uh, an easy beliefism church's is repentance isn't taught, sin's not taught. Uh, if I was young, to be bold enough to say, if you want a, a good mainstream example of an easy beliefism, uh, easy belief church, uh, Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, pastored by Joel Osteen, is a good example of a uh, church that teaches easy beliefism. Anything that is uh, self-centered is an easy belief doctrine, that you are good who you are, uh, you just love Jesus, and, and, you know, God will give you a rainbows and unicorns and puppy dogs and we can all sing kumbaya because life's good Uh, it's just not biblical
0: yeah and i know how we both feel about the lakewood church and some of the stuff that joel osteen does and (laughs) as i look at uh some of an outward expression of easy believism something that's very visible from a biblical stance is something that he does before and after the sermons which is he makes everybody repeat the prayer that he prays which We both know how we feel about this. God can use whatever means he chooses to to bring someone to salvation. But he brings everybody through a ritualistic prayer, which says, most of the time, verses like this, I am what my Bible says I am. I know Brother Mike's holding up his Bible right now and laughing. But then he makes everybody repeat this prayer, then gives everybody an assurance that they've been saved because they've repeated this prayer. In my opinion, this is an outward expression of what easy believism is.
1: I always found it interesting. He holds it before he even gets into his uh, what what quote unquote sermon. Uh, he holds his Bible up, does his little Bible pledge, and then the Joker never reads from it. That's so, true. The, rest <laughs> of the time, like, what is the point of you holding up a Bible just so people can't say you don't have one?
0: That's true. Anyway. Yeah, so we're going to be a little bit more apologetic in nature in the future, but for today, we're going to get back to John 3.16. I'm going to ask you another question. Do you think the majority of people who know John 3.16 know the entire context of John 3.16?
1: I would say the majority probably do not. Um, I mean, because you, you go back to, to memory verses, you know, most memory verses are just one verse pulled out of the context of a scripture. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of truth to it. Though you think about Philippians 4:13, that's one that I can think of that is definitely pulled out of the context that people apply sporadically to whatever situation in life. Now, I do believe that God can get you through anything, uh, any trials that you face, because he, he promises He will. But it doesn't mean I can do anything because of of Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. So, so I, I think definitely they don't understand the the whole context. They just it, it's something I learned when I was a kid. So it's a good verse and. That's just my favorite one. That's all I've known.
0: Yeah, so uh, I I agree with you. I feel like a lot of people do not know the entirety of the context. So today what we want to do is break down the context, hopefully make it easy to understand for you, hopefully make it clear. So, Brother Mike, would you read the verses that we're going to be looking at today, and we'll go ahead and break it down after that.
1: All right. Where do you want me to start? I'm, Uh, I'm off
0: my notes here. John three sixteen Just all the way through? To 21. 21.
1: All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God
0: all right so John 3:16 through 21 as brother Mike said i think it is necessary as i was talking with brother Mike before we get into the context of John 3:16 through 21 to break apart what's happening before this, if in my Bible, I noticed that this is red letter. Obviously, we know that that is Jesus speaking. Sometimes it's that's a resource to show who's speaking, but it's the same conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. So let's start off with that conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus in verse one. I'm going to read just a little bit of it, and then I'm going to ask Mike to break apart the necessity of the new birth. Brother Mike, what is happening in these verses? What is the necessity of the new birth for a believer? I know whenever someone asks you this question, you just want to preach the gospel. So if you felt led to do that, just go ahead. Absolutely. Well, I
1: mean, you, you go back, you got to see who's in this story. You have uh, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Uh, the Pharisees were the religious sect of, of the day. Um, they, they were very astute, very knowledgeable in all the Old Testament, so they knew. Uh, where Jesus was going to be born. They knew all of these things. There's no uh, reason that, Nicodem- you know, that the, the Pharisees didn't know who Jesus was. And in fact, Nicodemus will testify that he, he does. Um, they, that he knows that uh, he is a teacher come from God. Uh, that no one can do the signs that he does unless God is with him. So Nicodemus understands who he is. Now Nicodemus is coming to Christ because he is, he's aware that his belief system what he's always been taught, what he's always known is not true. It's not accurate. It's not, uh, it's very set up in legalism. It's very works-based. Uh, Jesus, he doesn't even answer his question, doesn't even acknowledge his statement uh, that he says, but says that he needs to be born again. Um, and when that is a spiritual new birth. There's, there's, you know, you are born, according to what the Bible says, you were born uh, sinful because of the, the sin of Adam. We inherited our sinful nature uh, from Adam and Eve, but when Christ came, he came to redeem a lost, fallen mankind. Uh, the Bible calls him a new Adam that came to, uh, to, to give us a new life. And now we, when one is born again, that means we get a new spirit, new, a new heart. We get all of that put inside of us to where there, there's a necessity because in our own ability, if you look at the, what the, the, the Pharisees believed and how many laws that they had, there was no way possible for anybody to become good enough. Uh, they, they couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep the standard. I mean, you look at uh, God gave 10. They couldn't keep those. Um, it's just a, a big, a definite need because works-based salvation never equals biblical salvation. Uh, you can't get yourself cleaned up before you come to Christ. Your, your, your righteousness, what Isaiah says, is uh, filthy rags before a holy God. You, you can't do enough good. Nicodemus learned this firsthand. You know, he's a ruler of the Jews. He was on the Sanhedrin. He was uh, one, of the, one of the elite in that Jewish nation at that time. And all of his good works, all of his good deeds were not good enough. Uh, you even take it into the book of Acts when a man named Saul uh, has an encounter with Christ, uh, who he was. He was a Pharisee. He had all the reason to boast, knew all of those things. Works-based salvation, your good works, you don't have any, first of all. But they're not good enough to do any good for you, to please a holy God for your salvation, so right off the bat, we're born sinful and we need a savior. And some people say, "Well, that's just that's just rude." You know, some people are good. Well, no. When you were born, you were already deemed what you were, and that's guilty. You're you're sinful. You're separated from God. You you don't have any righteousness, no good in you. Um, I've got two little kids under the age of five. they're no good in them. <laughs> they do good things because they want approval. They want to to the applause. They like to have the good thing. But you put down. Uh, my, my son likes to play with Legos. He builds up a big wall with his Legos. He wants to come show me and my wife how good he's done. He wants our approval. His little sister will be in his wa- her walker, and she will take off running and plow right into his wall of Legos and then giggle after she does it. Uh, there's no good in them. They're, they're, we're born that way. Uh, we definitely have a need of a Savior because religion never has saved anybody. Religion has never done anything good on a spiritual level, to redeem a fallen mankind. The sad reality is, uh, you know, the, how the, fair, the the system of religion the Pharisees had parallels very much to Roman Catholicism today. A lot it's of true. workspace, a lot of uh, ritualistic things that you do. You say this prayer for this occasion here, this prayer for this occasion here. Uh, none of that is going to please God. Listen, the Pope is probably the most morally, uh, what most people in the world say, the most morally high man, but even he's lost and needs a savior. So the, the whole need of a new birth is because we don't have anything good in us, and we need a Savior to redeem us, to make us righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because of his righteousness in us. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus here. You, you don't have it.
0: Yeah, I think it's very obvious that today uh, Brother Mike and I are discussing the doctrine of soteriology, which is simply the doctrine of salvation. And right off the bat, we've already refuted easy believism. We've given examples of that. And now you just heard Brother Mike give an exposition of uh Nicodemus' need to be born again, and we've now refuted a works based salvation. And if you notice in verse 3, it says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in verse 4, Nicodemus asks this question, and I know Brother Mike has had a good time, I've heard him preach this recently. But Nicodemus asks Jesus, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And in verse five, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I know that there is thorough exposition that can be given to that verse alone, but for the purpose of time today, I'm gonna keep going. In verse six, it says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So whenever we are talking about the necessity of the new birth. Whenever we're talking about Jesus exhorting Nicodemus that he must be born again, we are talking about the necessity of the role of the Spirit of God in salvation. We would both agree that salvation is impossible for a lost person unless the Spirit of God intervenes on behalf of lost sinful man and begins a work in that lost sinner before salvation can occur. Jesus is basically teaching this doctrine to them. This is the doctrine of regeneration. This is the doctrine of the Spirit calling sinful man to Himself. Like Brother Mike emphasized, salvation is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that?
1: I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, you have got to be drawn by the Spirit of God. You cannot. Well, first of all, we don't we don't seek after God. I mean, Romans three lays it out there really really clear. There's none good, there's none, no, none righteous, there's none who uh, seek after God, all have fallen away. Um, in my flesh, I don't want anything to do with God. But when the Holy Spirit of God comes in, he reveals my sinfulness to me, convicts me of my sin, uh, and then draws me to, to a Savior. And then when I repent of my sin, then I realize, man, I want God. I, I have, uh, the Bible talks about my righteousness, or my sinfulness, excuse me, being imputed on Christ and his righteousness being imputed on me. And now I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside of me. That makes me want to be righteous. That makes me want to know God. That makes me want to get into the word. That, that is what we would say is the agent that is used for sanctification. Uh, not because of, uh, of anything I can do, but my salvation produces good works.
0: Right, yeah. So with that thought in mind, as, as Nicodemus continues this conversation with verses 9 through 15, Nic, Nicodemus said to him in verse 9, how can these things be? And so Jesus begins this conversation with Nicodemus. And in this conversation, John 3.16 is in this context. It's not something that we rip apart out of the rest of this context. This is a conversation that Jesus is having with the man Nicodemus. He's already taught to him the necessity of the new birth. But before we get into John 3, 16, real quickly, I'm going to read verses 10 through 15. I'm going to have Brother Mike give a quick, quick exposition of that, and then we're going to focus on the verses that we read at the beginning. Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Brother Mike explained that verse already. Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What is verse 14 and verse 15 teaching us real quickly? Uh,
1: um, Jesus is foretelling his death on the cross. And that how he is the, the one that's going to be lifted up and that whoever believes in his, his sacrificial death, why he came. It's not, I mean, a lot of people believe that Jesus died on a cross. I mean, Catholics have crucifixes everywhere. Obviously, they believe Jesus went on a cross, but they don't believe in his work of atonement that was done on the cross. Uh, that is why Jesus came. And, he, and I love uh, Jesus uses sarcasm, and I'm, I'm that way occasionally. Uh, and I love what he says in verse 10, because this tone, you can just read it. Are you a teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? <laughs> I mean, he's foretelling, listen, you should know this. And this is why. And he goes back and quotes from the Old Testament. This is why you need to believe this. This is kind of a foreshadowing of what is coming and why I'm here. And that is to, to, to redeem a lost mankind, to seek and to save that which was lost.
0: So. So in the immediate context, right before John 3.16, he's telling them that you must believe in this sacrifice. That's what your interpretation of this verse is. And then in verse 15, he says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then now we get into the context that we're focusing on. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Before we emphasize on John three sixteen, why don't we talk a little bit about, about John seventeen through twenty one? So that way we've talked a little bit about before, a little bit about after uh, John three sixteen. So why don't you go ahead and give us a brief synopsis of what's happening? All right.
1: Well, verse seventeen. I mean, because a lot of people think Christianity, Jesus, all of that is just too judgmental. Well, Jesus clears up the air right there. Uh, God did not send a Son in the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through Him. Yes. Uh, people that are, and I mean, we will we'll just read it and I'll go more. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light for their deeds were evil for everyone who does evil, hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Um, those who do not believe, lost people don't like Christianity. They don't like Jesus because the Bible exposes their sin. In the book of James, it talks about the word of God being like a mirror. It reveals yourself to who, who you really are. Uh, Minda, you know, If you notice, all uh, Christianity is the, the one religion that is persecuted more than any, any other on the face of the earth, and it's because of our Savior. It's because he called people out of their sin. It's because the word of God calls sin. What it is, men love darkness. When does the majority of crime happen? It doesn't happen in broad daylight. It happens in the dark. Cause so you mentioned
0: men love darkness. That it's is our natural state. Natural
1: state. We we. I mean, if well, I mean, just even even something that's not even as serious. You you think about a diet. Well, a salad is definitely healthy for you. But man, that fried chicken is good. Right. In our natural state, our flesh desires that sinfulness. There's pleasure in sin. You, you look at the, you know, even commercials on TV, they don't portray, uh, beer commercials do not portray what alcoholism can entail. They don't show you the, the, the damage done by drunk drivers. They don't show you what a pickled liver looks like. They don't show you what a battered wife looks like or abuse kids because of the product being used. Everybody's having a good time. Everybody's living it up. Um, you know, in our nature, we want that sinfulness because of our sinful nature, when light is exposed on our sinfulness, we don't like it. Now, there's always, I always say this, there's always two options. You know, we, we, we get exposed to our sin. We can continue to rebel against God or we can repent and be right. Uh, when God, the whole, when the Holy Spirit of God is, is shining light on my life, in my heart, of what sin I have, I can repent of that sin or I can continue to rebel. And that's, I mean, when salvation is presented, you're presented with your sin. You're a sinful person. You're a sinner. You need to repent and get right or you continue to rebel. And, I mean, I believe this is just kind of laying it out there, not only just for Nicodemus, but the Jewish leaders and all of those people that are being taught by them. You think of the the people that are influenced by works-based religion, especially in this passage we're dealing with. How much influence would Nicodemus have? Because we, we know later, and because of what Scripture teaches in church history, Nicodemus became a follower of Christ because of this encounter. Uh, the light was shown on his sinfulness. He had uh, influence that he lost on earth, diminished. He ended up dying alone and homeless, but he, he had Christ, and that was everything to him. Uh, when, we, when we have our, our sin exposed by the Word of God, it, it is a painful thing but when we repent of our sin and we trust Christ and we follow him we love the light we love the word of god we know that you know we, we know we're not going to be perfect but we can we can continue to grow in our faith because we can see this the the gospel message is not is, it's good news but it's not one that's well received because men love darkness they love the sin and they don't want
0: it exposed so now jesus has taught Nicodemus, the necessity of the new birth. And now he's telling Jesus or Nicodemus in verses 20 and 21, everyone who does wicked things, which is us in our natural state, as Brother Mike just explained, hates the light, meaning we do not want to be saved. We have that heart of stone. We are hardened to the things of the gospel, and we do not come to the light, meaning there is nothing in ourselves like Brother Mike is teaching, that merits salvation within us. We do not want to come to the light because our deeds will be exposed, just like Brother Mike is explaining. We do not want our sin to be seen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But then in verse 21, we have a change of direction. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. How is someone that hates the light and cannot come to the light have the capacity to do what is true? How does someone that does wicked things and hates the light come to do what is true, comes to the light? He just says in verse 20, no one comes to the light, but in verse 21, he says, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may clearly be seen that the works have been carried out in God. What has happened to a person that has come to the light? conversion conversion and how does that happen if we hate the light and we don't come to the light um we we get a new heart put in
1: us a new change a new a new new creation the bible says we become a new creation uh and also says that we god removes the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh
0: how do we give ourselves? how do we merit that how do we get a new heart repent and believe christ okay that's I mean, good.
1: It, it's salvation is we have we have complicated salvation so much. Oh my gosh, ABCs, one two threes, twelve steps. I, you, no, you you you. When you're confronted with your sin by the, the preaching of the gospel, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when the word of God is faithfully preached, God honors that. Uh, I'd like to throw this side note in here. Uh, if you're faithfully preaching out of any translation, God will honor that. <laughs> That out there. It doesn't matter if I say thee or thou or I don't. It it got got honor it. Yeah. Sorry, I deal with that occasionally. But it's when that when the gospel's preached, God honors it. The the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin, draws them to Christ. They repent, believe, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized by the Holy Spirit at that moment of conversion. They have been made new. It's all salvation. Listen. When my parents uh, had me, when my mom had me, I had absolutely nothing to do with my physical birth. I had nothing to do with the conception. I had nothing to do with the, the time that I was carried. All 32 weeks, I came eight weeks early. Uh, I, I was so excited to get in the world, apparently. But I had absolutely nothing to do with any of that. So why, why do we get this idea that, man, I had something to do with my spiritual birth? Right. I had nothing to do with that. I didn't. I didn't want to by nature. I didn't want anything to do with God.
0: Yeah, Jonathan Edwards says you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that makes it necessary, and I think we both affirm that teaching. Absolutely. Um, so we've really now moved from the first portion of the podcast to the second portion of the podcast. And now, if you're still with us, we're going to move to John 3.16, which is kind of the last division of the podcast. So in the first division of the podcast, we broke down the verses before John 3.16. In the second division of the podcast, we broke down verses after John 3.16. So there's no way that you can say that we've taken this verse out of context. Now that we have given you the context, let us now emphasize where does John 3.16 fit in this conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. And before we do that, I want to read it and give a quote from uh, the New American Commentary that I commonly use. Uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The New American Commentary says about John 3, 16 through 18, interpreters should deal with a minimum of the three verses I am treating together because it takes at least that many verses here to obtain the correct meaning. Verse 16 serves as a statement of fact involving the agency, who is the Son, God, used to bring salvation to the world. Verse 17 expands on God's intention and clearly identifies God's purpose in sending the Son. And verse 18 provides a point, a pointed reality statement concerning the present nature of judgment, a reality to uh, no reader should fail to understand. Only when these three verses are allowed to hang together does the reader begin to grasp the full meaning of the coming of Jesus and the message of John's gospel of salvation expounded here so we've given you those verses already i want to implore you do not take this verse and use it alone use it in its context we've given you its context context is key god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life brother mike i think when we're looking at this verse we're dealing with two things and they're both important things. It's the necessity of God to bring salvation to a lost sinner, but it also has something to do with man's free agency or man's responsibility to do what they should do. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Who starts this salvation? What does this salvation start with?
1: Jesus. I mean, it's... That's the Sunday school answer. It's always the right answer when you don't know it, right? Uh, he, he, he draws. I mean, he's the one that comes and draws us. He gives us the new life, and then we have to come, uh, as the Bible says, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works. Uh, even, even in verse 16 there, it says, whoever believes in him. Uh, that's an element of faith. We have to. I believe this, that God gives us the faith we need to even believe in Christ because in my own fallen sinful state, I don't have any because I don't believe him to begin with. So it it definitely, Jesus is the one who draws. Jesus is the one that uh, brings us to himself, gives us the faith, and puts a new life in us.
0: Uh, I'm going to quote another, uh, use another quote, and this is used by one of the most well-known reformers of the Protestant Reformation. He says, I'm talking about the points that I reference. He says, both points are distinctly stated to us, namely that faith in Christ brings life to all, and that Christ brought life because the Heavenly Father loves the human race, And wishes that they should not perish. And this order ought to be carefully observed. For such is the wicked ambition which belongs to our nature. That when the question relates to the origin of our salvation. We quickly form diabolical imaginations about our own merits. Accordingly we imagine that God is reconciled to us. Because he has reckoned us worthy that he should look upon us. But scripture elsewhere extols his pure and unmingled mercy, which set aside all merits. So I think a lot of people use this verse as a factoid, in their opinion, to believe that since God gave himself for the human race, that everybody is worthy of salvation or that every person deserves salvation or that everyone should be given the opportunity of salvation. We know, what do we deserve, Brother Mike?
1: We deserve hell on our on our best day. And
0: why do we deserve hell? Because we're sinful and God is holy. Exactly. But, praise God that as saved Christians that believe in him, we do not have to go to hell because of the work that he has done in Amen. us. No merit in ourself. We do not deserve this. We do not force God's grace to be given to us because it's no longer grace at that point. Mm -hmm. He says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I know this is gonna be a little bit controversial for some people, but I wanna ask you a very simple question. How does a dead person believe in God? The Bible explains to us in Ephesians 2, 1, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. How does a dead person have the capacity to believe in God? And I think it's in this verse. They, they have to have somebody give them life. And who is the one giving life in this verse? Jesus is. Yes, God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son, Jesus. In verse 15, he says, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a great hope for us. This is a Bible verse that I love because it's in God's word. It gets me very passionate. In verse 20, we already seen that everyone who does wicked things hates the light. And does not come to the light, but does. Verse twenty-one. But who does what is true comes to the light. We have seen that salvation is a work of God in an individual, to, or to an individual for the glory of God alone. What are some other ways that you've seen John three sixteen used, or what? What's I, I asked you to bring a quote with you to the, to the. You ain't got nothing for no, the I quote. I have a oh, quote. Okay.
1: Uh, I've seen. Uh, I mean. I honestly, I have seen it used as more of a marketing tool more than anything else. Uh, you, you know, you see it on T-shirts, hats, uh, what, what, well, you know, whatever it may be. But it, it, it's a used, misused, I should say, to to just draw a crowd, to bring a, an easy belief message in, to to get people to to feel good. You know, hey, you you have some value, you have some worth. Um, you know, God loves you. You just believe Him, and you'll have eternal life. And and you know, it's that that's, uh, like I said earlier, half-truth, yes. But when you have the full picture, you don't have any good in you. You don't have the desire to want to come to Christ. You're you're living in darkness, and when the light is exposed, you hate the darkness. But when Jesus came and he when you were saved, he put his spirit in you. He gave you eternal life. He made you live in light because he is light, and you love the light now.
0: Amen. I'm going to close us by reading a scripture. A quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon. I know I've read a couple of quotes already. Uh, I'm making up for Brother Mike's lack of quotes. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this is a quote used by Charles Spurgeon in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Sermon series. He says about John 3.16, Whence came thou love? Not from anything outside of God himself. God's love springs from himself. He loves because it, because it is his nature to do so. God is love as i have said already nothing upon the face of the earth could have merited his love though there was much to merit his displeasure this stream of love flows from its own secret source and the eternal deity and it owes nothing to any earthbound rain or rivulet it springs from beneath the everlasting throne and fills itself from the springs of the infinite god loved because he would love when we inquire why the lord loved this man or that We should come back to our Savior's answer to the question. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. God has such love in his nature that he must needs let it flow forth to a world perishing by its own willful sin. And when it it flowed forth, it was so deep, so wide so strong that even inspiration could not compute its measure. And therefore, the Holy Spirit gave us that great little word, so, and left us to attempt the measurement according, according as we perceive more and more of love divine. I am very grateful that God loves us and gave us salvation. Amen. Do you have any other comments before we close out? I don't. I
1: feel like we have exhausted this passage, and if there's still any doubts, then uh, I, you need to have the light exposed to your heart.
0: <laughs> Amen. And if you, all, if you do need to have the light exposed to your heart, I'm certain that Brother Mike or I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, thank you for listening today to the Context is Key podcast. Brother Mike, I want to thank you for taking the time to drive from Redford to Dixon to podcast with me today, bringing your heavy preacher's Bible that weighs a whopping five to ten pounds it's and nice. and uh, thank you for taking the time to do such a thing with us today. Oh, thank you for having me again. You've been listening to the Context is Key Podcast. For more information regarding the Context is Key Podcast, feel free to follow me on Twitter at broaustin7. You can also follow me on Instagram at broaustinmccormick. Feel free also to keep up with our Facebook page at Context is Key Podcast. I would encourage you to also keep up with Brother Mike Brown, through redford baptist church's facebook page you can find sources and content there regarding what's happening in the church that he is currently serving in once again i want to thank you for listening to the context is key podcast don't forget context is key